Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer as always is Lou Pellegrino. Uh, two guests this week tied to the Super Bowl, but I think you're going to enjoy this because it's a little bit different. First up is Kevin Harlan. He is calling his ninth Super Bowl in a row for Westwood Run. He, Westwood One, I should say. He's doing the radio broadcast. And we get into a discussion on what it is like and how you prepare to call the radio broadcast. What's different about calling this game on radio versus television? And Kevin just gave detailed, in-depth answers. So if you are interested in the sort of the broadcasting of a Super Bowl on radio or just radio broadcasting in general, this was kind of a Ph.D. seminar to listen to Kevin Harlan. Kevin Harlan. So um, I, I really enjoyed that. After Kevin is Mike Arnold. He is the director of the Super Bowl for CBS, so a television director. This will be the fifth Super Bowl that Mike Arnold has directed, the 12th one he's worked overall. Mike Arnold, um, within the business, considered one of the best television directors out there. And really, really interesting stuff and just what Mike's job is and what that television production uh, truck is like during the game and Mike's decision-making on what you see. At the Super Bowl, you know, the 111 million people watching this game, Mike Arnold's picking the shots. So two really interesting conversations. Kevin Harlan first, Mike Arnold second, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. Kevin Harlan is calling his ninth Super Bowl for Westwood One, and any of you radio fans already know that. He also called the Super Bowl for CBS's first year of HD, the Ravens-Giants in 2001. So this will be his 10th, the, the Patriots and Rams will be his 10th Super Bowl call. Uh, Kevin Harlan, as many people know, has 17,000 employers. Some of them include CBS Sports, Westwood One, (laughs) Turner Sports, and the NBA 2K video game series since 2005. Kevin Harlan has been a guest on this podcast before, and I welcome him back to the Sports Media Podcast. Kevin, good of you to uh, take the time to do this. Thank you. Thank you, Richard, for asking. Always a pleasure to visit with you as well. All right, Kevin, I, um, the reason I emailed you and wanted you on is I am fascinated by the radio call of the Super Bowl because it obviously does not get anywhere near the publicity of the television call. Yet there are so many people in the U.S. and beyond who rely on your call and Kurt Warner's call to, to figure out, you know, to enjoy the game, to figure out what is, what is happening. So first and foremost, um, how do you approach this Super Bowl call for Westwood One differently, if it is indeed different, than your call when you would be doing an NFL game for CBS? That's a great question. Uh, CBS um, entails uh, probably a lot more attention to detail with the information um, that is given to us throughout the week. Our reading of the beat writer stories in the respective team cities, uh, certainly the release, a lot of the different statistical uh, packages that come our way throughout the week. I want to make sure that for my partner at CBS, Rich Gannon, that I know at least in print what is available on any given weekend. So, for instance, uh, the, the Giants had been knocked out of playoff contention the week before, but there was a lot swirling around Eli Manning. Um, would Odell Beckham Jr. play or not? Would they shelve him for the rest of the season with just a couple weeks left? Um, Saquon Barkley and, and what his impact has been, many stories. And that really, I felt, was, was the responsibility of me to make sure that I could be the trigger man to get Rich's thoughts. And so knowing those storylines um, 
and all the various components of a game from tip to tail for both teams uh, becomes uh, necessary. With radio, um, the attention to detail is more focused on numbers, names, formations, who's up, who's in, who's out, and, and more of the chronicling of the game itself. Everybody knows, I think, <laughs> the, the, the stories of, of these two teams going in. We'll certainly have a list of the top storylines, but my job is to be reporter, conveyor of emotion, um, making sure that, that I, I've, I've been uh, clear with my description on a kind of catch or the type of run or the defensive formation or the way the quarterback is looking over a defense or communicating with his line, all the things that the listener cannot see you know, my goal, my main objective is to make sure that, that my words are on target. So throughout the week, knowing these players, knowing when they come in, knowing what formations they're in, are far more important than for TV, where the viewer can see, and it's just accenting what they're watching, accenting the storylines, making sure that I ask the appropriate questions to set up Rich Gannon and get a guy who's been an MVP in the league to talk about it and accent the picture because in TV, as you and I have talked before, the picture is first, the analyst is second, the graphics and replay are third. And then you've got the play by play guy who is kind of the underneath uh, traffic cop to make sure you can tie and thread these things all together. Radio. I'm number one. The play by play guy is number one in your words, your emotions, your tenor, your pacing, uh, your reporting skills all come into play. So it, it's a different kind of preparation, same attention to detail, but just in different avenues. It's a, it's a very interesting answer, Kevin. You have called um, many Super Bowls now for Westwood One. As a television broadcaster, you have called major NBA games, major NCAA tournament games. Does the, does the call of the Super Bowl feel different even though you're in a medium that is smaller than television? Well, radio feels different overall, whether I'm doing Monday night or doing a, a playoff game or the Super Bowl this coming weekend, um, just because the focus and, and concentration required is, is so different. In TV, you can almost let your mind ease into, into a, into a re- relaxing position because if they can see it, and if a picture's worth a thousand words, I don't need to say it. I may identify a player. I'll um, make sure that I'm on top of the play. And then between plays, listening to Rich and, and through the binoculars, looking at the different substitutions. But on radio, it's a constant um, treadmill of uh, keeping the same speed, the same pace, and the same level of concentration because really I can't let anything go unnoticed. An injury, a substitution, a remarking of the position of the ball, a conversation among the officials on the field, um, keeping track of timeouts, all of that is done so graphically on television that you've got to serve two masters on radio. You've got to make sure that you've got all of those things lined up, coherent, and ready to go. And and, and then just the basics of the play. And, and, and just something as simple as saying, 
you know, the Ram 43 or the Patriot 24, which on TV we can see. We take so much for granted. The score is always there. The down and distance is always there. You can see who's got the ball most of the time. We all recognize Gurley or Brady or whoever. But on radio, the concentration is just so different and so constant that if you let yourself, even, Richard, for an instant, exhale, you are behind. And And so you're exhausted after radio because there are so many moving parts, and we are so far away from the action. And there is so much now deception, sub packages with offense and defense, that if for just that instant you lean back and exhale, you've missed a substitution, you've missed a guy lining up in a different position, you've, you've, you've missed the, 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 the change at running back, the addition of a tight end, maybe a weird-looking defensive lineman now who has come in to play fullback in a short yardage situation. But on TV, we can see most of this stuff, and it's just a quick identifying, um, you know, who's in, who's out. It, it, so, so you're so mentally exhausted. But that, does, that really shouldn't take away from how important it is to be all those things that you are on radio on television, just at a different level, at a much, much slower pace, much more patient pace, whereas in radio, you've got to be on top of the action. And that's the challenge to call it the right way, find the right words, and make sure you're staying up with all the things going on because people are so accustomed to seeing this on TV, they expect it now with your words on radio. And, and that is a challenge. I love the challenge, but it's very tough to have that broadcast where when you, put off, uh, when you turn off the microphone, take off the headset, or listen back later in the week, you say, God, I, I missed that, or I should have said it this way. Or, or, or I could have enhanced the, the picture, uh, the, my word picture, with, with, with better adjectives or more passion or a slower pace because the play deserved a slower pace because it was so complicated. Those are the things that, that, that make it different for radio than TV. Kevin, as, a, uh, as you know from your television work, the television crews get a lot of access to coaches, players through production meetings. Um, there are a lot of things, obviously, that get taken care of because they're the television rights holder. Can you take me through your Super Bowl week from Thursday to the game call on Sunday in terms of whether you get access to players, coaches, um, and maybe what the differences are for the radio crew versus the television crew? Significant differences. Radio does not get the access unless you go on the field before the game and see an assistant coach, a coordinator, maybe, if you're lucky, the head coach, a player or two that will spend you know 30 seconds with you and just confirming something you've seen or, or uh, read or just you know, checking a box of something that just needed verification. That usually only happens on the field before the game. So Kurt Warner, who I'm working with, and before this for the previous eight years, Boomer Esiason, always went on the field and just in their own mind made sure they had clarity on a subject, a topic, an opinion, whatever, and just you know reinvigorated a thought that may have crossed their mind throughout the week as they get ready to broadcast. Uh, for the play-by-play guy, there is that opportunity. But at the same time, what I have found is I'm better off in the press box in our booths 
in my position, looking at who's on the field and for a final time going over, you know, um, who's back to retrieve punts and kickoffs, who's the backup long snapper, uh, where is the kicker before the game hitting with regularity on his field goals, what kind of kickoff distance is he getting. If I'm on the field, I, I don't have that broad view, that nice landscape to look at, uh, because I'm trying to zero in on one story, one guy, one player up in the booth. My main, the main thing is that I've got these guys right um, and, and, and know who is playing, who isn't, what they're doing, and maybe something I can refer to during the broadcast. And I can scan the field back and forth multiple times um, going over, all right, back now to get the, the, the you know, snap or to get the kick or to get the punt or, or the, the personal protector in those, I can see all that so much better up in the box. So I've had to weigh going down to confirm a story or two as opposed to making sure I've got the main thing as the main thing, and that is making sure I've got the guys right. Uh, throughout the week, I start watching uh, tape on, on uh, well, for this on the Super Bowl, I started watching Monday, and I'll watch their previous three games, the championship game they just finished, the divisional game they played in, and most of these teams do not play in wildcard weekends, so I'll go back to like week 14 or 15 when they still had their full complement of players in, weren't resting guys late in the season, and see their starters and see them a third time during the regular season. And I figure by that time, and see what I'm looking for, formations and players and personnel and numbers and schemes Whereas Kurt Warner is looking at, you know, what a guy's doing on third and 10, third and seven, third and three. So we're looking at it from two different vantage points. I'm looking at the mechanics, the logistics. He's looking at scheme, thought, purpose, you know, uh, and things like that. You know, why are you doing this in this down and distance, in this end of the field, at this particular situation with the game clock and the score where they are? I look for different things. And so that, that is a process that I go through throughout the week. I get all the main storylines out of the releases. I read the headlines in the papers from the respective beat writers and papers throughout the week. But I can be overloaded with so many stories and so much, you know, small little things here and there that I'm, that I'm, I'm missing what my job is. We have all these other people on our broadcast that are doing stories, are telling the stories, um, my job, there's only one person to call the play-by-play, the mechanics, the logistics, and that is me. And by God, I better have that down. I don't use a spotter. I don't use a spotter on TV, and I don't use a spotter on radio because I tell myself, if I don't know the players, who's, who should know it better than me? I mean, I, I should know who these guys are. I need to know who they are. I need to know them as, as well as I know my own kids. So, so that's my challenge and charge for the week of a game like the Super Bowl, and really every week that we do Monday Night Football, I feel like I've got to know these guys almost better than I know anything else that I'm doing that week and know them that, that I could, if you set a number or set a position, I could rattle off who it is, what number they wear, even though I don't use the numbers in the broadcast, but in my mind, I can, I can visually see it in my mind's eye, who that is, what they look like, how they play, where they, where they usually are stationed in position during a, during a particular defensive or offensive down. Kevin, who do you envision is listening to this broadcast? Well, I envision um, someone driving down the I-95 corridor 
um, uh, that, that can't, for whatever reason, they're going to visit a kid in college or, or, or taking their, their, their mother maybe back to their residence or people between uh, parties that are going or people that have left early because their team is going to lose. And so they're now driving back. Um, um, you know, when I'm flying in at night on a Sunday night, um, getting ready for the Monday broadcast. So I've just finished my Sunday CBS game and I'm flying to my Monday night uh, game that Sunday night late. I, I, I look purposefully when we break through the clouds, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night when I'm flying into Atlanta or Los Angeles or, or Boston or wherever the, the game may be the next night, I'm flying into that major city. And I look at the car stream. I, I purposefully look at the car stream because I, I, I want to make sure that when I put on that headset and I, I think about that question that you just asked, who's listening? I'm looking at all these red taillights going one way and these, and these headlights coming the other way is I've got this panoramic view of a, of a big city. And I say to myself, these are the people that are listening. There, there are so many people out there that may have to work overnight, don't have TV. Um, uh, uh, or, or maybe they're in a different time zone and they're coming off of work. Or, or they're stuck studying for a test, but they want to just glance every once in a while at the score and maybe hear a couple of downs. Or they're driving, and, and they just, for whatever reason... They need to be someplace driving to an airport, driving to pick up food, and maybe they'll listen for only five minutes. Maybe they'll listen for five hours. But if a person's listening for the first time and listening for that five or ten minute span, I want to make sure that if they listen to that game, it's like they miss nothing at all because they're going to go back and watch it in their den or at their party or wherever, or their dorm room, and, and, and they feel like, I didn't miss anything. I know what kind of catch that Edelman made across the middle. I know what kind of you know pressure Brady's been facing. I know what kind of run um, Todd Gurley just had uh, because the call I heard on radio was so visually stimulating that that I his words were able to capture that cut, that move, that tackle, that spin, that lunge, whatever it might be, and, and that's the charge. But but it is never lost on me when I when I do fly in Sunday night and think about the people that might be listening at night. You know, how, what do those roads look, look like? And they're full. They are full of people, whether it's Sunday night or Tuesday night or Monday night or whenever. And I would think for a game like this, there'll be a lot of people that can't get to a TV or are in between, uh, you know, events or do, had to go someplace. And the only thing they can rely on are, is our broadcast. And I want to make sure that that's – I picture that in my mind when I put on that headset, that those are the people that are, that are listening. Do you ever receive any kind of um, data as to how many people listen to a Super Bowl broadcast? A couple years ago, Richard, they came out that Westwood One did some kind of a survey. I think they do it every couple years. It's an expensive process. It's a, it's, a, it's different, I think, than, than the Nielsen on TV. But they did do a, a, a extensive, comprehensive uh, search uh, somehow, some way, whether with the diary or whatever, and um, the, the number was over 27 million, and that was like four or five years ago. I'm assuming it, it, it's staying at that particular level. People can listen on their phones now, which wasn't as easy back then. So there's a different way to, to consume the broadcast, and, and I'm guessing those numbers are, are probably in that vicinity. But even if it were for, for the, 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 the blind person who's in, in Bangor, Maine, who's in their home or in their, you know, wherever, and, and they're listening, you know, that's enough of a, of a, 
of a challenge for me and, and, and worth it to know that maybe someone did hear it and, and they have a chance. And then occasionally Westwood will get these kinds of emails from people, which are very gratifying to read. And uh, a lot of times they've gotten things from people overseas serving the military, the men and women of our armed forces, that they were, you know, in a, in a particular position, whether they're in a mountaintop or in a base or in a ship, that they had a chance to listen to it. And, and, and that is always so you're always serving somebody. And if I'm serving no one other than my boss, uh, because I'd love to keep this job for as long as they'll have me, uh, that's enough to make sure that I'm that I, I have my my best performance available at, during every play, every play, any play of a game can be that play. So make sure that I'm on, on my game. Kevin, you've obviously worked with many, many different color analysts over the years. And part of, uh, part of what makes a broadcast is not just the on-air chemistry, but the off-air chemistry between all the broadcasters. Is there anything that you and Kurt Warner have done to try to create chemistry? Obviously, um, you have not worked with Kurt as long as you have worked with other partners, but I think you are very well aware that what ultimately, I should sort of, I don't want to put any kind of uh, absolutes on it, but when you have a relationship with somebody off air, as you know, it, it does help the product on air and the reverse can be true. So what have you and Kurt done to try to create some chemistry together, at least on air? Well, it's been pretty natural uh, to be quite honest, Richard, because of, uh, we're both from the Midwest. Um, uh, he had a stint with the Packers brief as it was when Favre was the quarterback uh, so we have that kind of tie together with my dad having worked up there for many years. Um, um, but, but really, it's, it's, been, it's been incredibly natural. See, Boomer, when he would do the games on Monday, would have to fly right back to New York. So there was never any after-game time. Um, he would have his own transportation to whatever private airport was close to that stadium or helipad that was close to the stadium. And then he would quickly leave the broadcast booth, uh, jump in a car, go to the plane, get home, get an hour's worth of sleep in New York, and then do his WFAN uh, fan uh, show on uh, the next morning, Tuesday morning. And, uh, and with very little sleep, and st- but still show great energy on Monday, and then he'd do it again on, on Tuesday morning uh, with very little shut-eye. Uh, Kurt is different because we always ride home from the game afterwards together, back to the hotel. A lot of times we're searching for food. So if it's a Whataburger or a Domino's pizza or a place that stays open or if we're on the West Coast and it's still early out there, we can go to a restaurant and get some dinner. So there has been much more of that after game with Kurt than there was for Boomer just because of logistics of where Boomer had to be and, and had to get back to his next you know gig. Uh, Kurt is not that way. And so we've had more time to to have more of a social off-air relationship, and that has been very fun. Um, but I would tell you that even though I did not have any of that with Boomer, I still felt as close because uh, because before the games is when we would visit, we would talk, and we would hang out, and the booth engineers and producers and all the people in there would kind of drift away. And we would have some very deep, long conversations about his son, about his family, about his upbringing, uh, about just the business. And so we had some great visits. And I never felt like it was boomers dropping in, parachuting in, doing the game, leaving the game, and we never have any conversation. We always talk before the game. 
and we always had that, uh, which, which was a different way to go, but that's what we did with the constraints. With Kurt, we do visit a lot uh, to the game and, and from the game and in the car and then usually get a bite to eat, uh, you know, a drink after, a quick, quick beer after the game, and, and that is very enjoyable. And I have found that he is he's very um, much like I kind of pictured he would be, and I think it's been very organic the way it is built with both of these guys. Uh, but it has been a nice transition. Listen, Boomer it was, was the face and the voice of Monday Night Football far longer than I was, have been, and has done more Super Bowls, I think, than anybody in some form or fashion as a TV broadcaster, as a radio broadcaster, or as a guy that's, that's been involved with it like he is this weekend for CBS TV. I mean, he's done far more than I, I have or maybe ever will. So, so, so he was, he was the big horse that we rode and, um, uh, but, but never made me feel, you know, subservient or, or below that. So we've, I've had, I've been really lucky with these two guys. They have two great selections by Howard Denneroff, our executive producer to get two guys that are like that and, and really enjoyable to be around at all times. All right. A couple more here, Kevin, how would you define your satisfaction, your satisfaction from this broadcast versus um, a high-profile broadcast on television? Well, they're different, you know, because um, on TV, you're, you're trying to just kind of pick your spots and let the picture talk, and um, uh, there's, there's just so much more there to consume. There's, there's talking in your ear, graphics that are put up, uh, just a variety. It's, it's a different kind of mental gymnastic than radio, which is more pure broadcasting. It's, it's, it's the TV side deals with a lot of different components that make that a challenge in its own right. And, and I don't want to say that one is harder than the other. They're just so different. So um, um, the satisfaction I get from TV is immense because you know that, 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 a, that a, it has many more people watching it, number one, and, and there just seems to be a lot of social commentary on the broadcasters, number two, and, um, you know, you're, you're just dealing with a lot of parts, a lot of people in those trucks that have worked just as hard as you have to make this thing go. Um, so there is satisfaction. Uh, and, and, and you feel more a part of a team because you're just one part of about 15 things that have got to work on every play. Cameraman, audio, graphics, uh, replay, analyst. There's just so much more that have got to all be connected and, and, and cohesive. So you feel like probably more of an effort with TV, but that's very satisfying because you're part of a team all at one goal. With radio, you know it's pretty much on your shoulders. And so the challenge and the pressure is different because if you screw up a play and a call or, or misidentify a guy or whatever, or even just a mundane play that was not described the right way, you know, I feel like I've left, let myself down, but I've, 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 I've let, you know, the people in the background down that are listening that, that rely so much on the accuracy of these calls. So the satisfaction on a good radio call is pretty significant for me. It is because um, it's why I got in the business, um, and, and there's more on me than there is on television. 
like like when in doubt on TV, the great saying goes, when in doubt, lay out. If if if, if <laughs> you don't know, the, the the picture will tell you, and you can come in afterwards and clean it up and look like you're right on it. When in doubt on radio, uh, you've messed up. You you can't have doubt, and and so there's so much more on me in that regard. So when you do have a well-called game on radio and you've, you've captured the essence of the emotion in the building of what the game meant of how big the play was, um, it's pretty satisfying. Uh, unfortunately I'm my own worst critic and I'm never really completely satisfied on a, on a call. And, and that, that becomes kind of grating on me and, and becomes it's kind of tough to deal with, to be quite honest. It's it's a little more, because it's all on you on radio, you feel more, you know, uh, responsible. On television, there's a lot of different things that have kind of got to, you know, f- figure in to that play, to that picture, and and you are, are kind of not minimalized, but you're just part of this chain reaction of things that have got to work. On radio, it is all play-by-play guy and and that becomes uh, a pretty significant um aura that hangs over you and you know you can't screw up i mean like you cannot mess up and so it's a different level of satisfaction both satisfying but a different kind of level because the pressure you put on yourself and the responsibility differences in both two more kevin um so the listeners know where would you be located in the stadium uh, for this game, so uh, if let's 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 take it to Super Bowl Sunday, uh, are you on the fifty yard line, forty yard line, or is it the radio booth in a in a in a place that we might not expect? We will be, I believe, in Atlanta, Richard. I won't know until I get down there. On on uh, actually, I won't know until I get to the game. We did a we did a regular season Monday night game there, and I think we were on about the five. Um, felt like the end zone. And I was constantly looking to my left. So where the TV picture comes out will be to the right and between the five and the goal line. Um, and and kind of our, my, my chair will be kind of cocked a little bit more to the left. My notes will be a little bit more to the left. Um, I wish we were low and I wish we were on the 50, but that just doesn't happen. So we're up about, I'd say, uh, we're not as low as TV. We're up maybe seven, eight stories, and we're between the five and the goal line. And um, the problem is, is they will put a, a a small monitor in our booth, but it is usually used for the analyst who can look at the replay, and it is usually about four to seven seconds behind the action. So there's no wow. chance to really just call a game off of the screen when they're at the other end of the field. And that makes it different. That's the challenge. It, it's just different. On television, we're low, we're at the 50, and I've got a huge HD screen, huge. I mean, I mean, it's as, as long as my arm, but it's a, it's a nice-sized HD screen in front of me. And I call about 90% of the game off of that screen. When we have long pass plays, I then look up because I've got to look downfield, and as the ball is hanging, I've got to identify receiver and defensive back. Um, but I'm calling most, and I, I picked this up from watching Al Michaels when I was doing radio for the Kansas City Chiefs. I watch Michaels, and Michaels does most of the game off the screen because, as he accurately says, why would I be calling something that the viewer isn't looking at? 
I got to call what the viewer is looking at. And that, 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 that is what I've got to do. So I picked up that little tidbit from him when I got in TV and I've, that's what I've done. I've called 80, 90% of the game right off of this, of the TV screen. And because I want to call what they see. Um, and, but on radio, I'm using my binoculars. I first identify who the running back is because they're always involved in the play in some form or fashion. And then I can see what kind of element the, the quarterback is. And then I quickly glance at the secondary to count the number of defensive backs back there because I always think a complete radio call play uh, tells you offense and defense both. So if I say there's six defensive backs I think that, or there's two rushing linemen, I think that helps the, the listener you know, in, in a very broad sense kind of figure out, visualize what that defense is looking at. And then I'll say for the, the, the offense, shotgun formation, single back uh, with three wide. That give you know, I, I can't be described. He's so-and-so is coming in motion, lining up. As, there's just not enough time to do it. You, you, you can't do it the way they quick snap now. So from that distance between the five and the goal line, up about seven stories and using my binoculars is how I'll call the game. So when people are watching on TV, we are to the right, uh, inside the five and high. And um, um, that's our view. Another reason why, before the game, I like to sit up in the booth and watch the pregame warm-up so closely because I, I, I adjust my mind and my eyesight as to what's going on in the distance and just what I'm going to be having to face that day. Each radio position is different. In the Superdome a couple of weeks ago, we were 11 stories high uh, and at about the four. And uh, so, so it's every stadium venue is different. Some are higher, some are lower. Most are in the end zone. This is close to the end zone, and that's the kind of vantage point we'll have on Super Sunday. And then the last one for me, Kevin, is that it strikes me, and this may be an anachronistic take, but I don't think so, um, that you could do the radio broadcast of the Super Bowl um, far after your television career is over. Now, you'd hope that sort of both are parallel, but, um, you know, television is, a, you know, sometimes at its core a, uh, an aesthetic business. Radio is a business for the years. And so I wonder if that is something that you've thought about in that, um, and this is not to sort of retire you now from television, but it does strike me that if the pipes are good and your eyesight's good and you enjoy it, maybe this Westwood One gig continues far after your television career. Well, in, in, my, in my prayers at night, when I, when I thank uh, the good Lord for what he has blessed me with, um, the one thing that has kind of been steady has been a, a stronger voice, a voice that, that can project and, and, and that has been one of the things I've, I've hung my career on. I know how TV is, and I've thought about that. Probably it would be less travel, because um, now I'm doing two NFL games, one on, on Sunday, one on Monday, a lot of time away from home, and I'm thinking about, you know, I don't have to go in there for pregame meetings like you do in the NFL where you've got to get on there Friday or Saturday, and, you, and a weekend is gone. I could leave, you know, Sunday night for a Monday night game, be gone, you know, just a little more than 24 hours and do that. So it'd be easier. The travel wouldn't be as, as much. And no, I think about that a lot. And, 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 you know, and, and TV, the, the top people, the Nances, the Bucks, the Michaels, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty well established and they're not going anywhere soon. And, and I don't know that I'll ever have the chance to be in that position to be a number one guy. I'm incredibly thankful 
for where I am at CBS, the loyalty they have shown me and, and the people that I work with uh, is rare in this business. They have, they have been incredibly kind uh, to my family and now going on 20 years there. Uh, I, that, that, that is an incredible blessing in itself to have that kind of longevity. But like with everything, and I look at Vern, I look at Don Cricky, I look at, you know, Dick at the late Dick Enberg, I look at all these guys that when they get in their seventies, those, those days uh, that they want, they need younger guys. So I get that. And I'm in my mid late fifties right now. So I, I have a good bearing and compass on, and where I am in my career, how much time I've got left, but you're right. Radio can sustain itself. Radio is a, is a little bit different. And, uh, and staying sharp and, and, and up to speed is something that I work on constantly, even when I feel like I'm in my prime. And, and so that, that whole thing is not lost on me. And to be quite honest, it would kind of bring the, the story full circle for me personally, because when I was growing up and when I was a kid, 11, 12, and 13 years old, and dreamt about this business, I dreamt about radio. I dreamt about being... At that time, there was Jim Simpson and Lindsey Nelson and, and, and the late Jim Durham, and I could pick up all these stations when I was growing up in Green Bay and hear these late-night broadcasts and, and appreciated the voices and the way they conjured up in my own mind at that young age, you know, where they were broadcasting from, what it was like to be in that stadium or that arena. And that's what, that's what really drew me to the business and why I fell in love with broadcasting was were those old radio broadcasters and and it would be apropos i guess in my in a perfect scenario for me that i could finish up perhaps in radio doing the big games without maybe the tv responsibilities that i have now it'd be a wonderful way to end my career because that's what i dreamt about when i when i got into the business was doing big radio events and so it, it wasn't lost on me a couple of weeks ago when a friend of mine richard sent me the the wikipedia page and I didn't know where he got it at first. And they list all the Super Bowl broadcasters from one to fifty-three. And hmm. and he said, "Look at this." He said, "You're doing your ninth consecutive Super Bowl. There's only one other broadcaster that has done nine in a row, radio or TV, and that was Jack Buck. He did nine straight, and you'll tie him with your ninth in a row this Super Bowl in Atlanta." He said, uh, "Now, but look at now, Buck did seventeen of them." He did eight. He missed a couple years when NBC Radio had it, and Don Cricky did the two. And then he did nine in a row, but you're going to tie him with his Super Bowl. And I, I thought about that, and I said, I said, you know, that's, why, that's what my dream was getting in the business, was to be like Jack Buck and do those Monday night broadcasts and do Super Bowls and do big games on radio. And uh, so, no, I, I think about that a lot. And, and that, that, in a perfect world, if I had to write the story, might be the way I would end it in, in, a, in a career in broadcasting that has brought me great fulfillment, great joy, has provided for my family, and, and has been a part of, of, a, of a job that, that uh, every day I wake up, I'm thankful I'm in a business that I love so much. Kevin Harlan will be calling the Patriots-Rams game, as he said. This is his uh, ninth consecutive Super Bowl for Westwood One, his tenth that he will call overall. Kevin Harlan, of course, along with Westwood One, works for CBS Sports, Turner Sports, the NBA 2K video game series. We'll give a shout-out to Mike Holmgren, Tony Baselli, Ed Werder, Jim Gray, Larry Fitzgerald, Tom Brady, uh, Scott Graham are also on Westwood One's coverage of the Super Bowl. Kevin, um, have a great broadcast. 
very good of you to do this and uh, continued success heading forward. I, I'm sure we will do this again uh, down the road on another topic, but uh, I appreciate it very much. And thanks for joining us on the Sports Media Podcast. You're so kind to ask, Richard. Always appreciate your work and your your position in this business, and it's an honor to be on with you and to talk to some of your listeners. And um, thank you for asking. A, a real pleasure, and I, I do hope we do it again soon. Thank you again. Mike Arnold is directing this year's Super Bowl for CBS. It will be the fifth time he has directed the Super Bowl. He has been part of CBS's Super Bowl coverage uh, on 12 different occasions, and he joins us on the Sports Media Podcast. Mike, I, I did this interview with you three years ago prior to your previous Super Bowl direction, so I like having you on every three years. Welcome back to the Sports Media Podcast. Great to be on, Richard. Even if it's every three years, happy to be on. Mike, um, at a bit, I got a number of specifics, but let's just sort of start off with a, a basic overview for people who do not understand what a sports television director does. And uh, if you can, as brief as you can, what, what will be your responsibilities on Sunday? Well, my basic responsibilities are I, I uh, show you all the live pictures that are on the screen. Uh, you know, the plays, the, the shots after plays and the producer Jim Rickoff and the uh, replay producer Ryan Galvin, they decide which replays go on the air. So after a play and I'm on a live shot of say Tom Brady, they'll say go to B and go to Y and I'll tell the technical director effect to B, uh, effect to Y and then we'll get the replays on the air and then I'll say wipe back to camera two and we'll be ready for the next play. Mike, how many camera operators are you directing on Sunday? I'm probably directing 50 to 60 camera operators uh, on the Super Bowl. Wow. And what kind of conversations will you have with the camera operators prior to the game? I know these are people you've worked with for a long time, but um, do you do you... Do you reach out to specific camera operators depending on what their position is for this particular game and go over stuff with them? How does what, what's in terms of the pregame conversations? How does that work? Yeah, interesting that I've got a core group of of about fifteen camera people who work with me every weekend, and then to fill in, I try to reward the people who work on other CBS football crews, whether it's the B, C, or D game core people on those crews. Certainly I could take whomever I want. I, I could take, uh, you know, the best guys from Sunday night football and the best guys from Fox and, and they're great cameramen uh, and camera women. But I, I try to reward the people who've invested 17 weeks of their fall and winter with CBS. So I use those people and we'll have a camera meeting on Thursday uh, before the game. And that'll be the big meeting. And I'll show a little bit of tape and, we'll go over what assignments everybody's got because obviously while the game's going on, you can't direct 50 different people to 50 assignments. So Thursday we'll have a, uh, a big camera meeting Friday. There's a rehearsal. We bring out a high school team and uh, we rehearse some various plays that we think the Rams and, and Patriots may run. We rehearse the, the team introductions, the coin toss, Walter Payton man of the year, and they've all got their different shots for, for those specific pregame elements. We'll rehearse the postgame. And then I'll look at the tape on Friday and we'll have another briefer 
camera meeting on Saturday uh, about any problems that we see, and then we'll get ready to do the game on Sunday. That's fascinating. So there's a high school team, and uh, somebody's pretending to be Tom Brady. Somebody's pretending to be Jared Goff. That's um, that's yep. that's I didn't know that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, yeah somebody will pretend local to be Brady, t- lo- Goff. Yeah, local school and all those NFL guys. picks. Wow, no kidding. All right, that's really uh, interesting. I did not know that. Are there are there certain camera locations specifically for the Super Bowl that are more important than another camera location? Well, we've added so many cameras for the Super Bowl. During the regular season, CBS doesn't have what I would call down-the-line cameras or, or the sideline or boundary cameras. So at the Super Bowl, we've got a camera that just just looks up and down the near sideline. We've got a camera that looks up and down the far sideline. At the Super Bowl, we've got a camera that, that's just fixated on the back line of the end zone. So if a receiver were to catch a pass deep in the end zone and we had a question, did he get both feet down uh, before he hit the back line, we've got a camera there that just shoots the back line and we would never have that in the regular season. How does it, uh, obviously, Mike, in terms of sort of how directing this game is different than a regular season game, I mean, you just pointed out one thing, obviously, a lot more cameras. Um, Do you feel, I mean, is there... Because of the magnitude of the game, do you feel more pressure or is that helped by the fact that this is number five for you as opposed to number one? I think I always feel pressure, to be honest with you. I mean, I try not to think about it, but it's the Super Bowl and 100 million people are going to watch it. Uh, I I feel pressure in the pregame because I normally don't do team introductions. I don't normally cover the anthem. Uh, the Walter Payton man of the year presentation happens for me once every three years. And not that it's that difficult, but it's just that uh, these are new events for me that I don't normally cover during the regular season. Once the game kicks off, maybe you're nervous for the first kickoff and the first play or two. But after that, it, it just goes into a regular football game. It's still 11 on 11. And that's where you can just rely on what you've done through the entire year. And that that's the part that I like. I forget that a hundred million people are watching it and just try to cover my regular football game. Mike, one of the things that I, um, I thought was really, really fascinating. I wrote about this last week is um, Tony Romo, who you work with every week, said um, he praised you and he said, you know, there are times he'll be sort of saying something and he'll be talking about particularly, let's say, like the coverage of safeties. And as he's talking, you'll pan out just a little bit wider so that the audience at home gets a sense of what Tony's talking about. And Tony said it makes him a lot smarter. It makes him uh, come off far more intellectually sound to the audience. And as he said, he didn't do anything. That was your decision to do that. Um can you give just some insight into how you work, particularly with the analyst, when the analyst is saying something and, and your goal is to sort of match the visuals to what the analyst is saying? Yeah, I think that's the most important part is that you're showing the pictures that the analyst is talking about. Uh, I can have the greatest shot in the world, but if the analyst isn't, isn't speaking about it, it, it probably one of us is, is off. So I I obviously try to listen to Tony. I I think it starts in the 
meetings with the teams and we're about to meet with the, uh, the Patriots. And I listen to the questions that Tony's asking. Uh, he wanted to know last week uh, how the, what the chief's plan was for Gronkowski and whether they're going to have a safety in the box or not. And I, I get the feel for whether Tony thinks that the safety play is important. Uh, so I, would tell the cameraman at the meeting, Hey, make sure we're showing the safeties that there's only one single high safety or there are no safeties. If they're in cover zero, I'm sure Tony's going to want to circle the middle of the field and say, Hey, there's no safeties here. Uh, you know, you might want to take a shot on a, on a, a seam route to Gronkowski up the middle or something like that. So I, I get a lot of it through the pregame meetings and, and what I think Tony thinks is important and then it's really just listening to him during the game uh, to make sure I'm supporting him with the with the pictures that he's talking about. Mike, you have worked over the years with many, many different play-by-play people, many, many different analysts. Um, what is unique about Tony Romo from your perspective? I think what I like about Tony is his enthusiasm for the game. I mean, Tony loves football, loves to talk about football. Uh, Obviously, he's gotten a lot of praise for predicting plays. Uh, you know, Tony doesn't do that every week. I mean, I don't know what Tony will do for the Super Bowl, but it, it's great to work with a guy who loves football and is excited about football and, and wants to entertain the viewers and teach the viewers something about football. And, and you know, a lot of analysts do, you know, want, want to do that. And I've been blessed to work with a lot of them who, who could do that, but it, it's fun to be with Tony and he's a contemporary of a lot of the quarterbacks now. And they light up when they, when they come into the meeting room and see Tony and there's always a, a lot of talk about, Hey, remember this game when uh, we threw, uh, we threw three touchdowns to beat the Cowboys and, and send you guys packing and Tony will grimace. And then Tony will say, Hey, remember the time that, that I hit Des Bryant and knocked you guys out of the playoffs or something like that. So it's fun <laughs> to be with him. Mike, I imagine maybe the answer to this is uh, instinct and experience, but um, what's the process of knowing how long to stay on a shot, let's say particularly a uh, reaction shot, if, it, if a, a touchdown happens and you want to get the reaction of the other coach or the other quarterback, or a shot where somebody scores and you're staying on the shot of the player celebrating? What Do you have a, any kind of sort of philosophy as to, as to how you make that determination? I think, Richard, it's, it's mostly instinctive. Frankly, uh, I must say I, I was pretty happy about in the Kansas City-New England game uh, a couple of weeks ago in the AFC Championship game, Rex Burkhead scored, but my first live cut was to Tom Brady, who was just so ecstatic and jumping up in the arms of, of his offensive linemen. And it's not normally a cut you would make because – the, the the tradition would be up. Oh, I'll take a shot of Rex Burkhead who scored, and it was a great shot. But in the out of the corner of my eye, I saw the cameraman Robert Lawton had a shot of Brady, and and I took that and stayed with it because there was such joy in in Tom's face. And I thought, okay, when that plays itself out, then I'm going to go look for some other shots. And I played it to what I think was its logical conclusion and then started hunting around for, you know, a Belichick reaction or Andy Reid or, or probably the first 
shot I was looking for was Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, to see what what he was doing, if, you know, what his reaction would be. Mike, on this same topic or the same sort of idea of a topic, when someone gets hurt in a game, um, what's your determination of how long you stay on that shot? There's obviously news value there at the same time, especially in a game like the Super Bowl. More than 100 million people watching the game. Some That's a lot of subjectivity as to whether they want to see something or not. Yeah, I think it's how serious and, and gruesome the injury is. I think if it's if it's a, a sprained ankle and somebody's hobbling off, uh, I think that's okay. But, you know, the famous Joe Theismann shot from Monday Night Football when Lawrence Taylor broke his leg, I don't, I don't think the viewer needs to see uh, a, a leg uh, twisted in directions that it, it shouldn't be going. I mean, maybe there's one shot to establish this is a serious injury, but then I don't think you need to, to linger on it uh, and, and keep showing it over and over again. Uh, a couple more, Mike. I know you have uh, you have a deadline. What are you doing today? Do you, you and Jim Nance are, are with Belichick today? Is that what you told me? Yeah, Jim My, Nance, does that Tony sound right? Romo, Jim Rickoff, Ryan Galvin, the whole crew, is, is we're seeing the Patriots today. Ooh, all right. I know Belichick will be he'll be he'll be cracking more jokes with you guys than I'm sure he will be at media day. Um, so uh, uh, how do you determine if you have done a good job? Not the broadcast, but specific Mike Arnold doing a good job on Super Bowl Sunday? Hmm. I'll probably watch the game and I'll think about the shots that I missed uh, that ah. I knew were in a monitor. And by the time I got to it, maybe I was a second late or two seconds late and think, oh, I wish I would have gotten to that quicker. But, uh, you know, if we've got the right amount of shots and and good replays and we didn't miss anything, then I think, okay, I've I've, I've done my job. I just don't want to leave anything that the viewer's wondering, boy, I wish I would have seen this or I wish I would have seen that I try to put myself in the in the viewer's shoes I'm a sports fan so if I'm sitting at home watching the game what would I want to see Mike what's the mood of the broadcast truck uh is it loud is it jovial is it quiet um if I was going to be inside watching the game and watching you and Jim Rickoff and the rest of the talented group in there do their job what would the mood be uh I think the mood would be serious I think it would be loud Ryan Galvin, who calls the replays, uh, has, a, has a loud voice. Rick Off will normally try to crack a joke in commercial. Uh, so it's, uh, I would say on the air, I kind of call it organized chaos. You might, hmm. you, you might, a newcomer might come in there and think, oh my God, what, what is going on here? But everybody's got their role and Ryan Galvin shouting instructions to the tape people and Rick Off is calmly speaking to Nance and Romo. I'm trying to call the cameras and maybe direct a camera or two to a specific shot. So to me, it's like organized chaos in there. During breaks, uh, how would you um, how would you describe uh, Tony and Jim in terms of are they talkative with Jim Rickoff and uh, whoever else is on the line? Are they quiet? What's going on with the announcing crew during the break? I think during the break. Uh, Jim Rickoff and Tony and, and Jim and, and Tracy Wolfson and Evan Washburn, they're, they're selling ideas. Uh, you know, are we, are we missing anything? 
Uh, you know, Tracy is, is very generous with her time. It, something might not get on the air, and she can say, hey, I'm watching them work on a, a player on the sideline. Or the defensive coordinator just told his defensive lineman, hey, we've got to get a pass rush going here. And Tracy will feed that up to, to Tony and to Jim Nance and Jim Rickoff will, they may decide, Hey, let's make sure we we've got some replays of this. Why is that a story? Why isn't the defensive line getting there? So Jim, Tony, Tracy, Evan, Jim Rickoff are talking in the commercial and I'm kind of eavesdropping. I might be telling a cameraman something and we're just trying to figure out what's the next thing we want to do in the sequence of plays coming out of that commercial. Okay, final two. Uh, how much interaction do you have with your bosses on Super Bowl Sunday? Are they in the truck with you? Do they communicate with you, or do they leave you guys be and talk to you after the game? Uh, we've got we've got Sean McManus. He's in the truck, kind of overseeing everything. And David Burson, uh, the president, is normally in a quality control truck, and and Sean's in there. Uh, He's the chairman of CBS, and he'll make a suggestion or two in, in the commercial. Uh, he's kind of overviewing it from there. Burson's in the truck watching it, I think, as the viewer at home would watch it to make sure hmm. he gets a sense of what the viewer's seeing. And then uh, Steve Karasik and Harold Bryan, our, our coordinating producer and executive producer, they, they sit in the truck, and, and they might have some idea about graphics or something like that that they could pass along to the ad uh but for the most part uh they let us do our jobs and and when they've got a suggestion that they may chime in last one mike and that is what is something viewers should know about the process for the people in the broadcast truck this sunday that they don't or that you just would love viewers to know here's a little bit about what we do Boy, that's a good question. Uh, what would be uh, something viewers would know, uh, should know, just... So, we're, we're uh, something our, that you'd I, like... I you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, hey, we're trying our best. I mean, we 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 want to get the right replays up. We want to get the right shots up. Uh, and we want to make the game as good as we can for the viewer at home. We want the viewer to leave the game thinking I saw all the replays I needed to see. They had some interesting graphics. I saw all the shots we needed to, you know, we needed to see. We just want to make sure that the viewer leaves the telecast and, and feel satisfied. Mike Arnold is directing this year's Super Bowl between the Patriots and the Rams. It will be the fifth Super Bowl that he has directed for CBS. And um, he's absolutely one of the best in his field. Uh, I've talked to him a number of times, have immense respect for him. Mike, I know today is a busy day when we're taping this for you, so I appreciate you giving me some time. Best of luck with the Super Bowl, and thanks so much for joining me today on the Sports Media Podcast. Thanks, Richard. All right, back in the studio, my thanks to Kevin Harlan, who will call the game for Westwood One, and Mike Arnold, who will direct the game on CBS. Uh, Happy to bring in Lou Pellegrino, who has not been... uh, it's not been part of this after-show conversation in such a long time. <laughs> Lou, Kevin Harlan, man, uh, you got to like a podcast guest who you sort of ask a question then gives just deep, detailed, specific 
answers, which I really, really appreciate. Yeah, Kevin's the best. Kevin is somebody you grow up listening to, and the voice is very recognizable. The excitement is always ex- appreciated as somebody who is watching any game that he calls. He's truly one of my favorite. I think he's definitely top five play-by-play guys that I that I enjoy listening to. Lou, and you're, uh, you, you produced for a long time. Did you... Uh, I know you produced like Dan Patrick, Chico, Scott Farrell. Did, did you, were you ever a game, like an in-game producer? Like, did you ever, I know you probably didn't produce the Super Bowl, but did you ever do, over the course of your career, I don't know, Knicks, Islanders, Rangers? Uh, or you, just you, always, you know uh, what? One talk of, shows? One of, one of my freelance jobs, I was actually a studio coordinator for the MSG radio network. So radio obviously yeah. is a lot different than television, but I was in there with Dave Maloney, Don LaGreca, Kenny Albert, Don LaGreca, Kenny Albert, and Dave Maloney during a Ranger broadcast. And uh, the last yeah. couple of years, um, I've worked with uh, Ed Cohen and Brendan Burke on Nick broadcasts. And obviously... It's not the same as TV because you're not calling out camera angles and go this way, go that way. Now, that's what a more of what a director does. But I have sat in television studios before, whether it was as a graphics, you know, operator or, um, you know, a like I said, a coordinating producer for radio broadcast. And it's so much fun when you get to see the guys do there and work their craft. I know working next to a guy like Ed Cohen, who is virtually a newbie. As at, as at the pro level, you know, he's done a lot of great things um, for other sports media outlets. But now he's the radio play-by-play voice of the Knicks, and he's just so detailed. And so is Brendan Burke. Brendan Burke is such a good for, – for to have a guy who never played in the NBA as your color analyst, that just goes to show you how much basketball knowledge a guy like Brendan Burke has. And I'm, I'm probably right. Brendan Brown. Brendan Brown, excuse me, Hubie Brown's son. And um, – you know, I'm getting I'm getting uh, the Islander play-by-play guy confused with Brendan Brown. Brendan Brown is the excuse me the the Knicks analyst, and he does a fantastic job for the Knicks radio network, and and so does Ed Cohen. And Ed Cohen is a young guy, and he is now the voice of the Knicks on the radio, and he calls a very clean, nice, emotional game, and and he still right. makes the broadcast fun, and that's when you know you have a good broadcaster, and that's that's something Kevin Harlan does. He does a lot of games that I don't have any rooting interest in because it's not a giant game. But when I hear Kevin Harlan, it's like, oh, this is going to be a good one. And it usually is. And Kenny Albert's had a hell of a career. Oh, especially God. as the son of somebody famous. Doesn't always happen that way. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, Lou. I, it's good to have you back. Uh, the um, previous podcast guests for this podcast, Laura Rutledge and Kevin Clark. Laura Rutledge of ESPN, Kevin Clark of The Ringer. And then just go down the list, Austin Murphy. Daniel Dale, James Andrew Miller, Chelsea James, Bruce Feldman, Tom Berducci, Rebecca Lobo and LaChina Robinson, uh, Jamel Hill, Renee Young. Check out all the podcasts. If you like this content, please leave us a review and a rating. Obviously, the better the rating, the more this can stay around. Uh, Check this out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. Uh, My thanks to my guests. My thanks to Lou Pellegrino for producing this. Thanks to Cadence 13. This is Richard Deitch. We'll see you again on the Sports Media Podcast.